Hello, and welcome to Into the Void with Will Adolfi. Today I just want to say a massive thank you to everyone who has listened so far. Honestly, it's just such a joy to be able to kind of make podcasts for you on a regular basis. And so I just wanted to start by saying thank you, because I got energy today and I'm... I'm full of life. So that's thanks to people actually listening and for me being able to do this. So let's dive in. Uh, Today I chat to Jamie, Jamie Oliphant. He is a brilliant comedian. I caught him at Soho Theatre last year when he performed his one hour show, Oliphant in the Room. It was hilarious and he's such a great guy. And this chat really surprised me as we spent most of the time talking about our time working in special needs education which was really interesting. So I hope you enjoy this as much as I did. Without further ado, Jamie Oliphant. Welcome to the podcast, my friend. Thank you so much for coming on. Thanks for having me, man. Thanks for having me. Great to be here. Yeah, in the uh, digital form uh, online over the clean feed. But yeah, still, uh, this will do for now during COVID, right? Yeah, absolutely. I think, you know, be resourceful in the times that we're living in, for sure. Of course, of course. So, yeah, I was really excited to get you on. And just for those listening, Jamie and I bumped into each other. Well, we didn't bump into each other. We met each other (laughs) at at school, the same place uh, that I met Thomas Brosnan, who was uh, the last guest, I believe, on the podcast. And so you great are... guest by the way love that episode ah oh, thank you so much man yeah he's definitely so... check it out if you hadn't heard that already it S- is brilliant such an interesting guy and uh yes yeah, it is an interesting place i must say the amount of like brilliant people i've met there and just goes to show as i've had two people on the pod i'm sure i have a couple more as well and given the conversations that i have at the school but i'd love to start with you at school actually because you are a comedian by trade yeah (laughs) and i'd like to talk a bit about what it is that made you want to get up there and shit your pants regularly (laughs) on a regular basis because it takes a special type of person to want to do that you know I, i have so much respect for you because it is one of the i think most savage art forms <laughs> yeah. i mean it's just you know i'd love to just start there so like what let's let's go back to your childhood a little bit if you will and um, yeah tell yeah. us a little bit about like how you were at school and then leaving school and then up until like the first sort of moment that you were like fuck it i'm gonna do this wow oh man that could be that's so expansive i could uh go i would i've just yeah brief biography um yeah like at school I think I was kind of you know a lot of people say they were the class clown and um I don't I definitely wasn't the class clown you know I was I was kind of too too timid I was uh I was very much like the fly on the wall like just the kind of guy who would think of something funny to say write it down and then kind of be be too scared to tell people <laughs> but then yeah I'd look back at that and I, I'd, I'd sort of be like yeah that, that that was kind of funny actually um, hilarious I, yeah yeah totally self-congratulating in a really wanky way exactly and I was just uh yeah just kind of living in my head a little bit when I was at school and I just started off doing open mic comedy and it was terrifying because you know you were just do you were you're putting brand new material 
material out every single time so that is always a frightening experience I, I always think when you know when people say god that must be the most terrifying thing I'm always like well I think it's just scary when you've got brand new stuff that you've never tried before and that you know is always quite nerve-wracking like that kind of fear sort of never really leaves you um but so when you're doing your first 20 gigs every gig that you're doing you're basically doing new material so that's that's kind of terrifying and you're sort of figuring out your voice as well and and all of that kind of stuff i sort of went into went into other jobs as well as doing comedy and and then what sort yeah. of jobs gone give me some of the dirty jobs you've done <laughs> all dirty jobs <laughs> I tell about literally that. and metaphorically of course <laughs> yeah uh i mean i've worked in bike shops i've worked in bike factories there was one time when i used to i used to check the metal i'd say you know brompton bikes right the folding bikes yeah the uh yeah so i used to check the metal at that factory on every single brompton before it went onto the factory line and I used to, yeah, I know it's mad. It's like, you're like, I love you're like, that. You're like, I know Jamie and I know he has got no qualifications in metal work. And, <laughs> and uh, you are absolutely right. Um, I, I don't know why they asked me to do that. So oh, um, basically, yeah, if you've got a Brompton, which you bought firsthand, but it's it's really scratched. Yeah, I'm, all I could say is I'm sorry, but, you know, I, I did the best I could in the circumstances. <laughs> Hang on a sec. So what would happen if you, so you were looking at the metal, you weren't even doing anything with it, you're just looking at it, going into the machine. If there was an issue, you'd be like, right, there's an issue there. Yeah, basically, I was, I was, I'd kind of run my hand. So like every single metal uh, working part of the bike, not like the gears and stuff, but like every part of the frame, I would just run my hand over and look for like a little. <laughs> yeah. Hey, so how do they, in, how do they screen you for this job? Can we check your hands? Are you good with your hands? Yeah. Can we chat to your girlfriend? It was a, it was a weird, weird process, but it was just basically I, I, I completely winged it. I've been. Um, I've been uh, employed by this uh, chain bike shop, um, Evans, who I think have gone bust now. They might have been bought by Mike Ashley, um, Sports Direct guy. Classic but I'm Mike not sure. Ashley. Classic Mike Ashley move. Um, but, uh, but a really run down <laughs> bike shop. But yeah, I, I worked for them for like a year and a half and I knew nothing about bikes to start with. It was just... Uh, I, I and they gave me a test for that they said uh oh yeah name every part of of the bike and uh, <laughs> I, I got zero out of 20 on that and um how'd you get this job then mate i'm wondering so like cause the guy who uh who ran the bike shop he was like this really cool south african dude and he was like jamie i've taken on people who know even less than you brew so you've got the job <laughs> and i was like that's a real statement of confidence wow and, uh, what a and job was, man yeah, no, it was good fun. So I did that for like a year and a half. And then, um, yeah, I, I uh, went into the, the bike factory world and I did that for like another year and a half. And uh, that was that was fun. Uh, yeah, I, I, uh, I slowly moved out of um, checking the metal to um, to dispatch. So like mm. I had way too much power for like a 23-year-old. I, I was responsible for like the UK dispatch of, of the bikes in uh, in. in in, around the uk for all the bromptons and i remember accidentally when my boss went away for one weekend and he, he left me in charge for like literally two days and i managed to send two bikes that were meant to go to brentford and i, I sent them to sweden <laughs> yeah yeah to sweden to stockholm and uh what just oh randomly my, yeah just just i i put the wrong wrong label on it i put an international uh, label there was some bikes which were 
basically they they got the bikes that uh that Brentford was supposed to get, and it was. And so, oh, so it went to a, a bike shop in Sweden, not just some random address. Some bloke turned up, walked outside his door one day, and was like, "Whoa, yeah, a no, bike! Just, just what I bike. asked for. Thank you, God. <laughs> I believe in you." That's it. I'm not doing a Swedish accent, by the way. That's it. That's it. I mean, I, I don't even know what a Swedish accent sounds like. To be honest, man, that would be Bro, we can't good. do accents. I am dreadful, and I'm saying that as an actor. But no shame here. Any one of my friends knows. Uh, you, you just don't have the ear for it. I'm kind of I'm gonna blame my hearing impairment, but let's stay clear of accents. Yeah, stay stay clear. That's <laughs> that's, that's safe territory for me, man, for sure. Yeah. I uh, yeah. So uh, it basically, uh, Brompton have loads of deals with with retailers and shops like around the UK and Europe, and so we were just sending bikes out to to the shops, and um, yeah, I, I sent them to uh, to some shops in in Sweden who were very grateful for them, but. Um, yeah, weren't expecting that. So uh, that was, yeah, that was pretty funny. So uh, you've had your fair share of of interesting jobs and ones that I'm sure when you look back were, I guess, a stepping stone. Did you always know that you wanted to be a comedian or was this something that you were kind of working out as you were staring at metal? Uh, yeah, I I mean, staring at metal gives you a lot of time to think about what you want to do with your life. So I'm grateful for that for that period of my life but um <laughs> yeah i yeah i mean i the first comedy gig i went to i was uh, i think i was about 15 and i was in uh this place called tiverton which is in uh devon or somerset it's kind of on the on the border between the two and i was at this gig which was emceed by jared christmas and it was uh it had a comedian called Craig Campbell and then it was headlined by Frankie Boyle and I'd never seen live comedy before and it was just absolutely hysterical and um, what was really noticeable as well was anyone who did local jokes just about the town about Tiverton and about the community and the people that were there just absolutely had the gig of their lives and uh, it was it was magical it was uh, really cool to watch something just you know be like created from scratch uh right there and it was uh it was amazing definitely left a huge imprint on me but there was a huge part of my brain until about like 20 24 25 uh which was you know just telling me that i couldn't do it and um you know just it was probably like uh like just me being a a bit of an idiot as well just thinking that Mm. i could do it and and to be honest like I, i you know for the first few years i definitely couldn't i was i was rubbish but i had no idea and i was i was just happy doing what i was doing and you know my friends were all very polite and very supportive and uh and yeah like obviously question marks from some of the parents being like uh, is this what you're gonna do for the rest of your life but you know like mm. i think once they saw that i was doing edinburgh and i was really committed and i was really driven then they kind of uh, got behind me but um That's yeah it's great, definitely man. yeah well, I guess when you start anything, you are by nature going to be bad or at least the worst like you'll ever be at it. <laughs> yes. And then yeah, yeah. That's no reason 100%. not to start. So uh, let's jump to your first gig, man. Let's talk a little bit about that. What, what was that like? What material did you have? Was it an open mic? Was it five minutes? Did you shit yourself? Uh, yeah, um, all of the above. Uh, I, uh, <laughs> I did this um, comedy course at the comedy school 
um, in Camden, and they sort of put on a showcase at the end for like all our friends, and um, it went it went really well. It was just uh, I just did some material which, looking back now, I've seen the clip a couple of times, and it's just kind of like, you know, like wannabe Russell Howard or something, you know, just uh, doing like quirky so imitating, voices, yeah, bit of imitating, yeah, and um, and I had this bit like I really didn't like estate agents at the at the time, and, <laughs> and uh, but I've got no beef with them now. I don't, I don't know why in my <laughs> mid twenties. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I just got to settle the score. For all uh, our estate agent listeners, big love to you. Exactly, big shout out. Yeah. And uh, yeah, it was um, it was it was just stuff. It was a lot of imitating, uh, a bit of storytelling, and a bit of like, oh, I'm in my, my mid twenties, and I, I go out with my mates on the weekend, and we go to the club, and this is what it's like, and you know, in in these shit nightclubs. Let me just give you a give you like a sort of idea of that. And I did stuff like that, and it was really. Um, you know, bland, uh, esoteric stuff, which I just think was really forgettable. And, uh, yeah, just kind of, it's one of those things where you just have to do it enough times that you're like, oh, I'm not sure about this. And then when you can kind of, eventually, I think once you've done enough gigs, you can sort of hear the audience's thought process while you're up there and giving you a fair assessment as well. You can you can hear what an audience that's being fair to you is giving you in terms of feedback, whether they like it or not. And, um, you know, you just sort of just go with the flow and, and you write stuff that you think people will like, but also stuff that you want to talk about as well. Mm. That's, yeah, that, so much respect, mate, for, for doing that, because I know I've had the thought and I don't think i kind of <laughs> it was just like no actually i'm going to write yeah. comedy instead of do stand-up stuff for me uh, let's jump to your recent gig your recent set uh, yeah. o- elephant in the room yes yeah yeah the show last year a whole group of us that was your most recent stand-up set right uh that was i i was doing some more in february march but it was pretty much variations of that show and then i was writing a bit new stuff so that was kind of like the last sort of, you know, 45 minutes to an hour that I, I put out there. Yeah. was the elephant in the room. Um, and that was just, yeah, that was basically just a kind of culmination of all my experiences of working in schools and stuff. And, um, you know, I've been working in like two schools and, um, I, you know, I just had seen some really funny things and it got to the stage as well where, you know, I was, I was doing some of my other, like jokes uh just about what was happening in my life but the bits that was really resonating with audiences was the stuff about schools and so that was where i just kind of ended up building like an entire show just around that because i just thought it was really really interesting yeah i have to ask like when you're because obviously when we went to go see it and we loved it by the way and you know that oh, thanks man. laughing our heart out because you know some of the stories we could just relate to and we knew, oh my God, that's this student. It was just really fun. Um, obviously, all anonymous names, that goes without saying. Yeah, yeah, but absolutely. what I would say, is, I'm, I'm just interested to ask, like, what's it like then? You're walking around school, which is a special needs school for anyone wondering. And if you haven't worked at a special needs school, it, there really isn't any way for us to describe what it's like on a day-to-day basis. I always try and describe, like, some of like our wonderful students to people, but... I just can't get across how wonderful these children are and how like monstrous they can be at times. <laughs> it, it truly is a marvel. And um, 
seeing your show it just it was such a humorous way of kind of communicating that but yeah when you're walking around and something happens at school are you like ping all oh, there's gold in that do you write it straight away or does it come when you're sitting at your table with your pen how does that kind of work i mean it's it's a mixture of the, of, uh, of the two i think like usually um i'm sort of processing stuff that's happened and i do kind of want to make sure that the stories that i tell um empower the students and you know it leaves them in the position of of winning the encounter you know so the jokes usually on me or the other teacher or maybe like the institution of education which is kind of getting questioned by like the students curiosity in that moment so i try and make sure that like my like narrative framing on it is just sound before i kind of proceed on it and then i'll kind of uh like maybe retell the story in the staff room to <laughs> let, like see if it's got legs basically and uh, and then yeah just just test the water just to see uh just to see what other people think and and uh and then you know I'll, I'll tell the story when i get home and uh you know like yeah to my girlfriend or my flatmate or something or, or to some friends and just see see what people think see how they react and I think usually like because I just I really enjoy my days at the school I really really do enjoy it I think yeah. it's such a it's such a fun job and of everything that I've done before like when you're getting to engage with kids and, and just chat to them sometimes all day long well kind of helping them as well and making sure like work gets done and and you know the syllabus gets fulfilled but you know, it is such a uh, privilege to be in that position, and it's it's a big world that people people don't see, but it's it's one that they're familiar with as well. So I think there's like that sense of familiarity when people hear the stories. They're like, I kind of remember school, but I don't remember it being like this. But this is, you know, there's already a little kind of hook there for them to kind of sink their teeth into as a story, and then yeah, yeah, I yeah, think I, just yeah, I just love how. At school, I was always the one like getting told off and then flash forward like, you know, 10 years and I'm going, Harry, stop walking, <laughs> stop running in the hallway. Like, yeah, it's yeah. just funny how it goes full circle. And I was also very shocked by what happens behind closed doors in the staff room. Yeah, yeah, the staff room was a, was a revelation like the first time I went into it. I remember being terrified of getting into the staff room actually. Really? Yeah, for like the first month, I think I was just eating my breakfast, eating my lunch in the classroom because I was kind of too nervous because it was that feeling of being like, but I've only ever been been the kid at school. I've never been I've never been staff. I've never gone into a staff room mm. before. So that was uh, yeah, that was that was nerve wracking. Yeah, well, a, what people don't realize is it's very territorial because you're entering in to a school. I was going to say playground and <laughs> literally, yeah. uh, but no, you're entering into a school where many staff have worked there for, you know, 10 to 15 years. It's one of the only jobs now where you actually get lots of people across the school who have been there for so long. And there's lots of people that come and go, like whether you're, uh, you know, doing a week or a few days, because there's always people coming in from the agencies. And what I found was when I go from school to school, that most of the time, 
like people don't really give you the time of day and that's okay because you know you're in their territory and they're gonna think why would i spend time getting to know you when you're coming for one day and then you're leaving sort of thing and yes yeah I, i remember for me it was that case of like when i actually found a school you know school s and the school that we met at and i made it clear like to myself and to the people there like you know i was gonna i'm gonna be here for a little while it's that thing of do i eat at the big table (laughs) that's it that's that's it that's such a good question that uh, metaphorically in life as well do i eat at the big table i really like that that's really nice do you just go for it do you just put your pasta pasta with chorizo down and go guys i'm here for the long run my name's will exactly yes that's such a bold thing to do it's such a statement as well and i think you were always like really nice and you and a couple of other teachers like thomas so. included and uh in terms of just encouraging me to kind of kind of do that to to, to put your pesto down at the big table and <laughs> and just and and just chat to people because they are really interesting and it is kind of intimidating when you go into an environment exactly as you say you know everyone's known each other for like five to ten years so it kind of is like a family like you know a lot of the teachers in there like especially with some of the younger tas as well like the older teachers are basically their uncles and aunties you know there's like like you know with our our mate louis like i feel like sort of like a lot of the other teachers like obviously his, his mum works there um but like a lot of the other teachers are like his aunt, uncles and aunties and i really I just sort of love that vibe when you when you go there and, and that kind of that back and forth banter. It's just it is like a family dinner table as well. And um, yeah. yeah, no, it's, it is it's very a much unique how you like experience. One hundred percent, and it's a it's a very like people workplace. Uh, I couldn't do the office vibe. This one had real character to it. Uh, everyone's kind of going through this very bizarre experience together at that i mean working with children particularly at an sen school um with you know all sorts of variations of asd and and it is like some of the moments and it is normalized after a while i remember like you know i my first day when i first started uh, the the agency lady was like we're gonna send you to this school and just so you know this school isn't for everyone Okay, and I was like, right. And she was like, it's not for everyone, but we're gonna send you here, and you just let us know. Let us know how you how you take it. And as soon as I got there, I thought, no, this is this is for me. This is for me because you have to be a very particular sort of person. You have to be able to just be instinctive um, and uh, you know act by your own initiative, and you have to be uh, able to embrace you know as well as being proactive yeah. and able to embrace the. Uh, unique nature of the humans that are are there and once you like learn to do that it's it's incredible you're right you have moments that I can't describe like certain students to people I'm like I really want you to just come to our school and meet them but then there's also this element of you know I remember me and Rid we were talking about how I used to take the kids out to Morrison's every Thursday. Yeah. And when you work at an SEN school, you no longer view these children as special, which is quite funny, right? <laughs> you, yeah. Obviously, they're unique in their own right. I don't mean it like that. But what I mean is that this woman, for example, this is a perfect way of explaining it. This woman in Morrison's, every time we would go there, would come up to my guys. And these are sick formers, so they're like 16 to 18. 
obviously I've got a wheelchair user and I've got certain children who at a first glance you would be able to tell okay this children uh, the child has learning challenges and this woman would approach us every Thursday with the best of intentions best of intentions like oh but she would go hello everyone she'd be like oh, I love seeing you here every Thursday and she would you know I guess what I'm trying to say she would treat them like children and it would be like kind of with the best intentions she would have this kind of pity for them and she would go up to yeah. them and be like hey and and you know they obviously thought who is this weird lady <laughs> yeah you know, to to them she was the weird one and, exactly and and, yeah. to, and to me like she was being weird as well because when you spend that much time with these people the, this perception that we have this cultural perception of when we grow up and it must come from there of of seeing these people as quote unquote different because of the the their minds and the way they absorb information and the way they act is is I guess you could say not mainstream. We view that as kind of a weirdness. Whereas yeah. when you work with them for so long, it it becomes just they are normal teenagers, quote unquote, normal teenagers to us. You know, they have they listen to the music that is very like much like the music you would expect to. They they dance. They they have bad moods, good moods. They tell us what they're up to on the weekend. They are literally quote unquote normal yet. Takes, yeah, just like everyday you know? kids. Yeah, I totally, I totally agree with that. I, I think that's such a, yeah, that's such a big point to make as well. Is just, I think a lot of people, their, their attitudes. I, I get kind of frustrated if, if someone says, "Oh, you're doing such a good thing," you know, going into a school, um, you know, every day, um, to an SEN school, and I'm like, no, it's just, it's just a, a regular school. These are regular kids. And, you know, I think to, to, um, obviously every, every kid is special, but to kind of treat them differently is almost to kind of dehumanize them. Like if they're walking into a room and doing what that lady does, it's just, you know, I get she's coming in at, at it from with good intentions, but yeah, course, as, yeah. you, as, as you say, you know, it is like, it's, it's startling for, for the guys who are walking in, who are like teenagers who are just like, you know, like walking into a, into a place while like probably listening to Justin Bieber on their earphones or something and being like, what's this person doing? Why are they getting in my face? And, you know, saying something like this to me, it's just like, you know, or, or they're listening to Stormzy and they're just like, I just want to go back to this and just, you know, zone out like every other teenager and, and mm. get, get my donut and go like that's, you know, that's <laughs> yeah. a bit. And, yeah. and also when they annoy you, which happens regularly. Oh, frequently. <laughs> That's yeah, when you stop treating them with like this pity of, oh my God, you you know, you're, you're a special needs child. It's like, no, 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 no. They, they are a person, a human being, and they can, just like any other human being, can bloody piss you off. <laughs> yeah, exactly, exactly. And uh, I think I, I think that's 100% true. And, and that was definitely like one of my uh, challenges, like as a TA is trying, when they are like pissing you off, exactly like that is to try and find like a teaching moment in the, the hardest moments as well when someone has infuriated you and not just like you know not just like done something wrong or made a mistake but like continually done something that they know is disruptive and have been asked to stop doing that and you're just maybe like <laughs> dealing with like the most stubborn kids in the world as well and it, it's just like you know an immovable kind of 
force that you cannot stop is sometimes a teenager's bad moods it's just tell me about it and it's hilarious when you find yourself in those situations where you are tired or for whatever reason you've maybe got some personal stuff going on (laughs) yes i mean i've had a couple of those moments where i've had to stop myself and go hey bro you know this is a child where, where's this anger come from yeah, yeah. <laughs> be careful here you know like and, and i've got to tell you I, it's hilarious i've dished out a couple of detentions in my time let me tell yeah. you and and sometimes I, I i walk away and i go blimey like i just gave a detention that came yeah. out that came out of nowhere <laughs> <laughs> And, you know, more often than not, it it is a learning process and you do learn and it's getting that balance right of what is best for the child. And I never and I learned this like through my experiences, you can't be giving punishment as a form of revenge as a teacher, you know, that and it does. It can happen in the heat of the moment. You can have a child that really is pressing your buttons, who's very talented at doing so and wants to cause uproar. And they can easily do that. You know, once a child gets hold of the fact that they can really do or say anything with, you know, with little consequence, I mean, or I shouldn't say little, but consequence that they care about, then sometimes you get those troublemakers and they can really test you. And it can't be a form of like revenge. It has to come from a place of love and tough love and what is best for them. And I, I have found that it's all in kind of communication. If you are responding to a stressful situation, for example, the other day, I had a student who just started shouting in a lesson. So he clearly been bottling up a lot of anger. Yeah. And he just started shouting and it was really scary. Like it was scary. And lots of people in the class were really kind of like taken aback, including myself. And I had to kind of sort of calm him down, try and calm him down. But when he wasn't listening to me, I then got annoyed and I said, leave the classroom now, please. I'm not asking you now because you're scaring everyone. And he said, but you haven't asked me nicely. And it was like, oh, crap, he's right. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and I kind of took a deep breath and I said, OK, I'm going to ask you nicely. I said, hey, buddy, it's me. I care about you. I just want to check in. I hope you're OK. Do you mind stepping outside so we can have a little chat? And he got up and he left and he taught yeah. me a lesson. He taught yeah. me. So as you were saying earlier, like these people saying, oh, you're good. It's like, no, no, no. I get just as much from these kids. And it is a pleasure to be there. The energy they give me, the life they give me, the lessons I've learned. You are right. I, I can't think of a better day job. Yeah, completely, man. I think as well, it goes back to what you're saying about the staff room. Like the best place to discuss those things, if you're ever in doubt, is with with another teacher who you trust and you know you think is actually going to give you advice that like sometimes you know i've been in teacher in environments where you're like oh i I don't want to tell someone because they might like you know tell the person who books me not to book me again or something and um yeah you know so you kind of sometimes feel like you're singing for your supper but like uh, there's definitely been times where I've just said to a few teachers, hey, like this happened and then I, I did this. What would you recommend in these kind of situations? How do you how do you manage that situation? How do you mm. how do you how do you deal with it? And there's always been, you know, so many really good pieces of advice. Like, you know, I think the thing that I've learned the most is just that bad behavior is just a form of communication. So it's mm. just it's just a case of trying to figure out what someone is saying when they're lashing out you know if they if someone is throwing like you know a a bottle on on the floor and it's you know 
a, like a metal plastic or a plastic bottle and it's just hitting the ground really loudly and mm. everyone else is like jumping up shocked like what is that person trying to say in that moment like can you see it another thing in the room or person in the room who's triggered that person has a conversation that's come up you know there's all these kind of questions and mm. um you know it would be when I talk if you know there was a student that I was working with had an episode and then I would talk to sort of one of the more experienced teachers afterwards they would then go through that the strategies and the potential triggers for that student and I was like oh, okay wow that is like a checklist of stuff that I should have worked through at that moment in time but you know when it's the first time when something chaotic happens you're just like oh my god what do I do but then oh, yeah. after after that then you're able to do exactly how you did and just take a step back you know yeah. and figure out what that person's needs is in that situation exactly yeah and you have to be you have to be kind of mindful that's why mindfulness is really, is really good um but it all comes down to you know the behavior is a symptom it's it's on the surface the pain or something that's going on in their personal life or it, that's the source so you, you can't punish the kind of symptom just constantly without you know talking with them and trying to get to the source and and work that through with them but I, I you know I remember like we used to do a well-being group with the with some of the boys in year 10 and you know we'd go around and it'd be on a Monday and I'd ask them you know guys what do you get up to at the weekend and I remember one student saying I chilled and I was like okay and we let's unpack that a little bit. What does chilled mean? And I kept going, I kept going, acquiring, I played Xbox. Okay, did you do anything else? No. And essentially what we unpacked was that he had spent the whole weekend playing his Xbox and he didn't even leave his room unless it wow. was to go to a toilet or to eat. Wow. He didn't speak to anyone. He didn't really say one word or two with his parents. So that is what being chilled is for some students yeah that's and, shutting down that is like uh what's well, just yeah. no form of connection right and then so that that's the thing that i've noticed working at a school is that we don't give children any responsibilities and so they have nothing to do they feel like they have no purpose they have no way of connecting with friends often for whatever reason it might be that their personal situation means they can't or they don't have the confidence to reach out whatever it is there are loads of children at home doing nothing and so what do they do of course they do whatever they can to cope and it might be in the form of netflix it might be in the form of xbox but then on top of that society makes these children in a way feel guilty for doing nothing, for having nothing going on and for resorting yeah. to Netflix and Xbox. It's like how we can't just give them no responsibility and and then provide them with nothing to do. Of course they're gonna do they're gonna chill and do whatever they can because what else can they do? That's I, I yeah, I totally agree. I th I think uh, you know, from my experience I found school like, you know, sometimes pretty terrifying and traumatic. So I'd I'd you know there would be weekends that i would just spend kind of glued to my laptop playing uh like fifa 2002 and you know <laughs> you just i absolutely 100 <laughs> percent a basic bitch for fifa 2002 man i uh yeah i i played that game religiously and that was at the time looking back a coping mechanism of just being unable to articulate to anyone hey actually i'm having a bit of a difficult time at school um, I'm not, you know, too sure about things like my self-esteem isn't great. Uh, that was me just like going, I just need to, to zone out. And cause I think as well, like, you know, 
we always there's loads of people there's loads of books written on it just about how difficult adolescence can be in terms of physical changes and stuff but you know definitely in the, in the last year i think it has had a phenomenal impact on the mental health uh the whole kind of covid situation um on the mental health of of the younger generation so i think you know there's a definite need for coping mechanisms when they get in and something that you know can just make them shut down but as you said you know there's also these other forces which make them feel inferior uh in terms of feeling like oh i should be more popular i should be better at football i should be you know more talented at music or more academically gifted and you know you can't be all of those things at once but social media makes you feel like you should be and Mm. that's that's a really hard thing as well is just managing learning to manage demons i think as well is a big thing yeah i mean it makes sense like the netflix the incessant kind of video gaming i did that as a child and i was doing it to mask my own pain because i felt alone and i felt like i didn't have any sort of purpose and so this was a form of numbing that and i see that across the board at the school the majority of the students i feel are alienated in some way that are craving connection with something or someone and i've seen it the positivity that can come from finding something that you're good at a reason to live a why we had a student who when he first got to school was honestly a just complete mess in terms of well-being and his he was constantly depressed and he would play on his own basketball out on the court and then one day he comes to me with a piece of writing it was like a piece of theater and it was remarkable it really was it was a story of a boy who had all these negative thoughts who felt kind of suicidal And the twist at the end was that it was him. He was this boy. And it blew me away. And he discovered the arts. That was his connection to community, to purpose. And honestly, I bumped into him the other day and he is a different person. He's beaming with joy, beaming with life. He's got a smile on his face constantly. He emails me every so often to tell me what he's doing in the performing arts and it brings me so much joy and so I'm trying to work out how we can give that to other kids to other children who don't have anything to do on the weekends you know I remember one of my one of management once said to me be weary asking the children what they did over summer because most of them didn't do anything yeah no there's an element of I think you know sometimes I used to have this when I was younger when um, I'd sort of see other kids' parents and they'd ask me what like grades I got uh, for my GCSEs and stuff and then what I'd been up to. And, and my answers were always so boring and, and disappointing that I always felt quite, like kind of kind of like depressed and sad to, to tell them that kind of stuff. So I think sometimes communicating that at the first at the get-go can be kind of difficult but like I think you know what you're talking about there a lot of that is to do with the self-esteem and and I think as well like one of the things that mainstream schools really struggle with is is cultivating uh self-esteem in in all the kids I think like mainstream schools you know uh from what I've seen and from what my friends have discussed like you know um 
kind of seem to just promote like Darwinian theory of like, oh, the strongest survive, the physically strongest survive. And so you've got to be like physically strong and academically gifted. And if you're not those things, then mm. you can't, you, you can't serve a purpose to society. So you feel like you're going to be left behind if you can't do those things. And, mm -hmm. you know, I think that's where the arts are such a great outlet, you know, for people who don't feel like that, who, um, can just dip their toe into something else but mm. then there are so many other things as well which isn't just you know it's not just art based it could just be cooking i've seen gardening like the amount of gardening that i've done in in sen schools in the last <laughs> two years man has been unbelievable but i gotta say i've i've loved it you know i love growing yeah. vegetables now it's it's <laughs> It's amazing. Everyone should do it. Everyone should get involved. It's a, uh, it's a really good thing. It's uh, you, you know, you, you're growing something from scratch and then you're taking care of it and you're being responsible for it. And I think all of those, and then you're, you're offering something to a community by bringing your fresh produce. You know, I think those kind of things are, you know, being overlooked uh, because, you know, we're so results driven and we're so kind of box ticky as a society. And, you know, it's not necessarily cultivating, I think, like, uh, the the happiest minds mm. um, between the teenage years, for yeah, sure. We've just started, like, implementing well-being, so I'm really, like, hopeful for the future. But obviously, society doesn't really have a clear-cut idea of what we need to do to be well. There's no, like, core curriculum on that. But I am yeah. really hopeful. But it's interesting what you said, because I wonder if this is the same for you, because I have so many, like artistic mates whose education and this includes me didn't start until we left school until we were in our like early 20s like 23 24 and we found podcasts or books or reading and i'm just wondering what it is like because school doesn't feel like a place to learn how to be a human it feels like a place to memorize things yeah <laughs> and then write them down on papers to get some sort of certificate to say that you can memorize so you can go here bloody blah, blah like it does i mean maybe that's quite a cynical view of it but for someone like me i just i had no i didn't feel like what i was learning was of any use to me and i think that's why i wasn't motivated to learn it whereas now i'm learning about things that have utility they feel valuable i'm interested i'm engaged and i just wonder because so many of my students not all the time but like a lot of the time we're teaching them things and I'm kind of like, do they really need to know this? Like, oh, oh, like when are they get ever going to be able to, you know, I don't know whatever it is, but like we, it just feels like what we're teaching in a sense, it's, it's for Ofsted, you know, it's for like, it's ticking boxes rather than it is actually teach because i've learned more from podcasts in the last three years than i did honestly throughout my whole education and i know some people go to school and it's different and they engage really well they learn so much so i don't want to like tear it to its you know knees or whatever just the whole of it but for so many children they are forced to sit down in a classroom environment, forced to act a certain way. And all it does is just create inner conflict, make them feel really bad at something and cause more harm than good. Um, would you say you agree with that or am I being a bit harsh? Yeah, no, I mean, like, I, I, there's a lot that I agree with there, man. Like, I think uh, in terms of the education curriculum and stuff and the way, I think the best thing that I've seen is... Uh, how practical the curriculum 
can be at a at a Sen school. Mm. And you know, when you've got something like I spent so many afternoons, like really hot afternoons, I remember, like in summer in classrooms, like doing mass worksheets, which were relentlessly difficult. And basically, you weren't really figuring out how to do stuff. Exactly as you say, you were just memorizing formulas. And you're just memorizing literally what the right answer like would be for that situation. It wasn't really working anything out or showing any kind of critical reflection. It was just those things. And, you know, whereas, uh, you know, there are like different kind of practical practical things that you can do like i'm a huge fan of obviously this works up until i think 11 plus like something like um cooking you know because with cooking you're using multiplication division addition and you're being practical as well and your accuracy is rewarded you know the more you focus and the more you work the more you're rewarded but also you have to be creative and you have to think on your th- on your feet and that is you know those are such good things to be encouraging children to learn is the confidence to make a mistake and mm. i think that's something that we introduced quite early on with the curriculum and the box ticking approach that you mentioned is that we are making kids terrified of failure and that mm. in itself is then having a massive impact on the self-esteem so i think sometimes when we look back at you know, kids who did well at school and, and or the so-called clever kids, I wouldn't necessarily say they were the clever kids. I would just say they were the motivated kids because they knew exactly what uh, hoops they were going to jump through and what the, what the goals were at the end of the day. Whereas I think a lot of the other kids, myself included, didn't know about the hoops and didn't know what the goals could be if they applied themselves. They were just told from quite an early age that, I don't think you're going to get there, mate. So look somewhere else. And that in itself makes you as, as a kid, you know, really uh, disenfranchised and want to cut off from that kind of, uh, from that process really. Oh, yeah, Max. It's like, what's the point in me doing this math homework? I'm terrible at math. I'm in set three, you know, I'm like, yeah. how, how is it going to help me that like, I'm not very good at school? This is the story I'm sold. I'm not very good at school, so therefore I'm not going to do well in life. But that is obviously, we know, just not the case in any way, shape or form. I mean, more often, the people, the kids that are finding it really hard to sit still, they have like this superpower of energy and intensity and passion. And it just needs to be directed into something that they enjoy doing that gives them purpose. I mean, I've seen kids go from being like incredibly uncomfortable at school to literally walking around with a smile on their face the whole time because they find a sense of community and what I love about our school is we're very flexible and we've got staff that with enough time will be able to get through to a child show them some love show them some understanding and show them that they are you know they are valuable they do have a purpose and they are being listened to and it's re- that's why I've been at this school for, you know, it's my fifth year. And I think that's why you were saying you're drawn to it, even though you, you live so far away. I mean, is, is like the, has the schoolwork for you, do you think it's influenced you as a person? Like, do you feel like it's shaped you in any way? Hugely, man. And uh, I'm, I'm always like very grateful for that as well. Cause I was having a chat with someone the other day saying, you know, um, uh, uh, 
you know, like, do you enjoy working in a school? And I, I said, yeah, because I, I think I really needed it as well. It was definitely, uh, I needed just the day to day working with teenagers and kids in situations that I wasn't familiar with to kind of snap myself out of thinking I think it completely changed the way that I I look at my own sort of adolescence and childhood I think I was really kind of selfish and and for want of a better words like you know a bit a bit of a diva when it came to thinking that I had like oh a really hard time and and I was like I used to think that oh you know what like my time as a teenager with like sort of was was really hard that was really difficult and then I see what other kids get on a day-to-day basis and I, and that really kind of gives me a lot of context who are just being like actually no I was just you know I had an experience that is relative to what everyone else goes through on a daily basis and what I struggled with does not even compare to what I've seen you know other kids struggle with on a on a daily basis mm-hmm. so that's that was a very helpful kind of humbling uh lesson for me to learn but also, yeah, just uh, I'd say like strategies in terms of how to de-escalate certain situations. You know, when someone is in your face or like possibly threatening you with violence, like, you know, I've had that happen quite a few times now. And I, I just feel, you know, initially that would have an emotion. The first few times it happened, it definitely brought an emotional reaction out of me. And now I just kind of feel quite neutral to the situation and I just would have my kind of problem solving hat on. And I think that's a, that's a huge change from what I used to be like, definitely. Yeah. I feel like we're both going to be better fathers. Yeah. <laughs> having absolutely. worked at school. And I, I've realized now I've never will undervalue the power of giving someone your attention. Yeah. And sometimes that's all it takes as well is just listening to someone and sometimes, sometimes yeah that's that is a hundred percent it it's uh like someone said you know like I've, I've been asked like oh what do you say to certain people in situations like this i just say just just listen to them and mm. sometimes like you know the best advice is also the most boring advice but it's just it really is important just to listen and just to keep that option open and especially with teenagers as well because you know, they don't want solutions from adults. They want to find the solution themselves and they just want to talk through the problem to you. Oh, yeah. I mean, it is quite funny, some of the situations that happen. And if you they do catch you off guard, it is a moment where you're like, mm, how do I approach this? For example, I had a student come up to me once and go, Mr. Will, am I going to die? Wow. And I was like, question. OK, Will, how do I do this? How do I deal with this? And I just said, yes. Yes, you are one day because we all die. Yeah. And she goes, I'm only joking. <laughs> I know I'm going to die. And I was like, fuck wow. it out. I was like, you wow. little critter. She knew what she was doing. But yeah, there are plenty of moments like that. And just like any parent, it's like, how do yeah. you, how do you be truthful whilst not kind of damaging their spirit towards life? And I think, Ultimately, it comes from building up our own optimism 
towards life within us and then you can bring that to a child because there are lots of tough questions that are hard to deal with and it is remarkable when you put forward something like if a student is interested in let's say a political topic like black lives matter and you just watch them engage with one another and it is remarkable and it does fill you with so much hope because ultimately children are wonderful by nature like they have a real they just want to be heard they just want to be listened to they want friends and that's another thing it's like how do you teach a child to make mates because that is one of the most important things i think you could teach yeah the socializing element that is massive the socializing element exactly i mean i know there are many students at our school that certainly struggle with that. Have you found, is there anything that you feel like, ah, this is the most important thing that I'm going to teach my kids having worked at Shaftesbury now? Do you have anything that springs to mind? See, that's the the scary thing to think about it is there is so many things now. And Mm. I think maybe before I kind of went into the uh, process, like, I used to be used to just think, okay, so maybe self-esteem and then course uh, do well in core subjects and and hope for the best with the exams. Like, and now it's it's so much more complex. You know, it, like developing the social skills from an early age is such a crucial thing. Like, uh, just being unafraid to go into a social environment—that's yeah, really important. It's instrumental it's so instrumental and to to have a mixed social environment as well girls and boys and then be having healthy conversations back and forth with girls and boys about about what it is that they're going through on a daily basis i think i think that's huge i think um you know talking about their experiences and building building empathy and sympathy is Mm. uh those are crucial things oh man 100 percent, bro 100 percent. i couldn't agree more listen i think before we uh, finish, is there anything you'd like to just you know finish by saying? Maybe you've got a story or something to our listeners. But I, this has been wonderful just to chat uh, about the school. I'd love to get you on in the future. We can cover more topics. But I don't know if yeah, there's anything you'd like man. to say, man. Um, I mean, to be honest, mate, this has been a, a really lovely podcast. And just, yeah, being able to talk freely about sort of the work environment at school. And uh, it's it's just been... Yeah, it's lovely, man. Thanks so much for having me on. Uh, absolute pleasure, mate. And I yeah, couldn't reiterate that more to people. Like, If you are a creative person that is in search of a day job, do give teaching assistant work a go because it is incredible in terms of growth, uh, humanity. And I think if you are a people person, it bloody beats working in an office that's all i'll say hugely man. i think there's uh, there's a massive shortage as well of teaching assistants so um yeah if you are listening and you are interested then definitely get involved totally recommend it give it a go oh thank you so much mate and definitely have you on again soon absolute pleasure thanks for having me man take care my man take care dude so there we go Another lovely conversation that I got to have. I really hope you found that interesting. Just to let you know, I am on retreat away as of Friday for a week. So next week's podcast is a question mark. I do have something lined up, a, another solo episode and some really exciting guests to come. I cannot wait to show you this content. Um, but yeah, next week is a question mark. But hold tight because lots of content is coming. So thank you so much for listening. Honestly, it's such a joy. 
Uh, I really hope you enjoy yourselves. Have a great week, everybody. Okay, see you later. Bye, guys.